0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We continue to hear reading of Holy Scripture this afternoon in the Old and New Testaments. We turn first in the book of Exodus to chapter 30. We read the verses 1 through 10. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high, its horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, two on opposite sides, to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the ark of the testimony, before the atonement cover that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron must bring, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering, and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. Now we turn to Leviticus chapter 6, read the verses 8 through 13. The Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Finally, we turn to Luke chapter 11. We read the verses 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything." I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This afternoon we give our attention to our confession in Lord's Day 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why is prayer necessary for Christians, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him First, we must, from the heart, call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that, although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word what has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is the Lord's prayer? And then follows the prayer that we earlier prayed and read. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Catechism's teaching on prayer comes right after the section on the Ten Commandments. There's good reason for this arrangement and order, something that's pointed out to us in Lord's Day 44. God wants us to take the Ten Commandments very seriously, yet each one of us constantly breaks them. People like Achan and Uzzah, Ananias and Sapphira, were all punished with death for their heedless treatment of God's commands. Peter deserved the same punishment for denying Christ. And truth be told, so do you and I for our sins. We all deserve instant death. God has said... The Bible tells us, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. The Lord will judge His people. It also says there in Hebrews 10, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Before we can rightly understand God's law, however, We need to see it in the light beam of God's love. God's law, like a prism, takes the single ray of light, love, and spreads it into ten beautiful beams, each with its own color and focus and beauty. Unless we see the the beam of light of God's love We'll only turn our eyes away from the Ten Commandments. We won't see them for what they are. We'll see them as most other people see them, an unnecessary burden. But in the light of God's great love and mercy for us in Jesus Christ, each one of the Ten Commandments is a beautiful, colorful Astonishing reflection of that love that draws us ever more into God's lovely presence. The Ten Commandments and the God who issues them are horribly frightening for human beings then. Unless we see the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ, breaking through them. Yet, even when we know God and, and love Him and have experienced His love, we can sometimes have that awful feeling, that feeling of terror before the holy God who demands perfection and holiness from all of us. Complete perfection. Complete holiness you see, brothers and sisters, that's why we need prayer. It's like in the true story of the hunter and the fawn. Rising early one morning, a hunter heard the howling of a group of deer hounds in pursuit of their prey. Looking out into a broad, open field in front of him, he saw a young fawn fleeing his salivating pursuers. The fawn was becoming tired and was about to give up its flight. When it reached the rails of the enclosure where the hunter was standing, it leaped over and crouched within ten feet of where the hunter stood. A moment later, when two of the hounds came bounding over the fence, the fawn ran in the direction of the hunter and pushed its head between the hunter's legs. The hunter tenderly lifted the little fawn to his breast and swinging round and round, fought off the dogs. I felt just then, recalls the hunter, that all the dogs of the West could not and should not capture that fawn after its weakness appealed to my strength. Well, you know, that's how it is when we in our human helplessness appeal to the Almighty God. So may we, when the hounds of sin are after us, so may we run into the arms of Almighty God. You see, that's what we're doing in prayer. We're not running to God because He is not the living God whose fiery wrath could consume us in a moment. The hunter with his gun could have taken out the fawn just like that. We run to God precisely because He is the living God who alone, when we flee to Him for mercy, can save us from His own wrath and the wrath of His enemies, the wrath of our enemies. Now this is something that we need to do constantly, like the Catechism says. In the prayer that Jesus taught us, it is clear that He expects us to pray daily, for He teaches us, give us each day our daily bread. And this wasn't a new expectation from God. In the Old Testament, the prayers of God's people were to ascend to God As regularly, as regularly as the incense offering and the burnt offering, which were to never go out. Both Jesus and the apostles furthermore frequently urge us to pray continually without giving up. And when we do this, we are involved with Jesus. But Jesus isn't here anymore, you say. He's he's now far away in heaven. Yes, that's true. But remember what He's doing in heaven. We're told in Hebrews 7 that there in heaven He always lives to intercede for us. That, that's what He's living there to do. He always lives to intercede for us. He always lives to pray for us there. That's what Jesus is busy doing now and always and ever since He ascended into heaven. Praying for those for whom He died. Which includes you and me. Bringing all our requests into His Father's presence. All our requests. As Paul says in Romans 8, Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. each one of us, young and old, the little ones who can hardly even talk, the elderly ones who can no longer talk, those who have never been able to talk. And all of us who can talk very well, except when we come before God. I suspect most of us have at one time or another wished that we could have been one of Jesus' followers while He was on earth. And that we could be involved in His work the way His twelve disciples were. Well, through prayer, you are, you and I are involved in the work that Jesus is now doing in heaven from His throne, just as intimately as the twelve when He was on earth. The ministry of prayer of our Lord Jesus is a glorious and powerful ministry as great We could say greater than his ministry on earth, and we can all have a part of it. Do you know the thing is, brothers and sisters, that we don't have to stop our daily work or abandon our present calling to do it, to be involved with Jesus in this great work. The woman who is bound to her wheelchair is as able and strong as any other when she joins her Savior in prayer. From her wheelchair she is used by Jesus as He wields His authority over all earth and all heaven. She with Jesus brings down oppressors from their thrones and lifts up those whose hearts are sad. The hard-driven businessman also joins Jesus in his ministry, becoming no less an effective businessman as he does so. In fact, becoming, becoming ever more effective. As he rushes about from appointment to appointment and from duty to duty, his heart is engaged in constant prayer as he places all his thoughts and questions and requests and decisions before Jesus' throne. And so, he's involved with Jesus as a businessman. The Christian student, too, joins in the prayer and in the ministry of Jesus by summoning all his intellects and skills in service to Christ. And with a constant awareness that all her learning and thinking and studying is captive to him. So, she is involved with Jesus and His powerful ministry. The busy mother is no less involved in the heavenly world-impacting ministry of Jesus as the full-time pastor as she bends over the washing machine in the middle of the day, does her ironing at night, with a heart that is prayerfully directed toward Jesus, pouring out her concerns for her family and her neighbor and her world. And as she rocks the cradle and talks to her teenager, with her busy hands and timely prayers, she rules the world with Jesus. So pray constantly. And you will be deeply involved with Jesus, your ascended King. Besides being involved with Jesus in His present work, we also have access to God's grace in prayer, as the catechism says. How we need God's grace. How we need God's mercy. We stand before the same God who punished the Israelites in the desert. Lot's wife and Azza. And we're no less deserving of that punishment for transgressing God's commandments. We too deserve to be turned into a pillar of salt. To be sentenced to death. Yes, we can try to keep all God's commandments, and try we must. And we can be sorry when we fail. Be sorry we must. But prayer alone is the means by which we can truly repent of our sins and receive God's mercy. As the Catechism teaches, prayer alone is the means by which we receive the ability and the help to do what God commands. And so the author of Hebrews urges us let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us be like the helpless fawn who ran to the safety of the hunter. Our God is merciful. He will scoop us up into His mighty arms. He will fight off our salivating enemies even as they try to bark us down, He will provide us with the strength to do His commands. And we're also promised complete joy through prayer. This is what Jesus has promised. Ask and you will receive. He says in John 16, and your joy will be complete. You'll be completely happy Now, Jesus didn't mean that when we're praying faithfully, we won't ever have trouble. That we won't ever weep or or fail or be discouraged or sin. When He promised that our joy will be made complete through prayer, He also told us that we will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. In other words, it will seem like everyone else is happy, And we're sad. You will grieve, he says, but your grief will turn to joy. And even in the middle of all those troubles, we may experience fullness of joy. Even at the bottom of the spiral of depression, God is not going to withhold the joy of salvation from us, feelings notwithstanding. Remember what Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That's how it is, whether we feel it or not. And when we are in prayer, we are in God's presence, which means that we are guaranteed fullness of joy even when our feelings fail us. Pray constantly and you will experience complete joy. And if even if your feelings don't match up with that, one day they will. That's Jesus' promise to you. His promise is that you'll also receive the Holy Spirit. We confess in Lord's Day 44 that one of the reasons that the Ten Commandments still need to be preached so strictly is so that we will continue to pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit who will renew us after God's image. We confess something along the same lines in Lord's Day 45. It puts it even more strongly here, in fact. God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask Him for these gifts and thank Him for them. There's only one way for us to keep the Ten Commandments. And that is when the Holy Spirit is living in our hearts, enabling us to carry out God's will. And Jesus has promised us that He will certainly give us His Holy Spirit upon our asking. Remember what we read in Luke 11. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's there for the asking. Now there are people who have said that you're not allowed to pray for the Holy Spirit. They even say that songs along those lines shouldn't be in our book of praise. And then they reason that Jesus told the disciples to do that because it was before Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. After Pentecost they then reason people are not allowed to ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, Scripture teaches us otherwise. Remember how the believers prayed, shaken by the arrest of Peter and John, and filled with fear by the conspiracy of Herod and Pilate and many others. Remember how they were then filled with the Holy Spirit? How the Holy Spirit shook that place? And remember what Paul tells us? Be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And if, if God tells us that, then is someone going to say we're not allowed to ask for that? How are we to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to keep in step with the Holy Spirit if we cannot ask for the Holy Spirit? And then when we ask, we will receive, as Jesus said. Well, brothers and sisters, let us then pray without ceasing. Let's get involved in the ongoing ministry of our enthroned King, Jesus. You don't have to stop your work to do that. You don't have to stop going to school. You don't have to stop doing all the things that you should be doing from day to day. You can be completely and intimately involved in Jesus' ministry through prayer. And there's no ministry or activity so filled with reward and blessing, and there's no ministry so certain of success. Do you know, even if all you can do is tumble down warily and rest your head in the bosom of your Savior, like the fawn upon the breast of the hunter, you can be sure that he will hold on to you and that he will fight off your enemies of darkness. He will help you. He will give you joy. And He will fill you with His Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.